is the word of the Lord. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. May God bless the reading of his word. for us to be ready that is permeated really um, Jesus's exhortations to us uh, in these chapters and it's for this reason that in fact the scriptures throughout actually are continually calling us to get ready for the Lord's return the Apostle Paul writes at the end of his ministry and he says uh, and calls us to love his appearing that might be interesting have you ever thought about that do you love the appearing of the Lord that you yet do not see. Do you love it? Paul tells the church in Thessalonica that we are to encourage one another with the hope of Jesus' return. Are we encouraging one another? Are we reminding each other and bringing comfort and edification by calling each other to remember the Lord's return? And then finally, as Gary read for us in 2 Peter chapter 3, we, in light of the Lord's return, are to live holy and godly lives as we wait. And in so doing, we hasten that day. Brothers and sisters, we are to live in this world as if Jesus could come today. 
because he could. Jesus could come today. And the question is, are you ready? With that fact, Jesus, though, does understand that we do have the temptation of losing sight of his coming. There's that challenge for us, isn't there? That uh, we don't live as if Jesus could come back today. And the reason being is, is that his coming, at least from our perspective, seems to be delayed, right? Seems to be delayed. I mean, it's been over 2,000 years. Does Jesus really expect us to continue to be waiting? Well, he does. And he promises to supply us with the grace we need to hold fast until that day. And one of the means by which the Lord keeps us, brothers and sisters, is through warning and exhorting us in his word. Jesus is warning us to be ready. He's telling us. I, I think about my parents growing up always telling me, you have a test at the end of the week. You need to be ready for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I can't help but to think that that's how many of us are. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, we know. But it's a long way off, right? Hey, if anybody's in the sound booth, I got a lot of feedback. We got to be ready. We need to live as if he can come today. But readiness is not merely stargazing, as we're going to see. You remember maybe the apostles uh, at, the, uh, at the ascension of Christ who are staring into the skies and it's as if uh, they don't realize two angels have just popped up right next to them and say, hey guys, what you looking at? Why are you staring in the clouds? Why are your heads in the clouds? He's going to come back in the same way in which he ascended. Get to work. Being ready is not stargazing. Neither is it code-breaking. Code breaking in the sense that we're somehow going to figure out the calculations of the times and we're going to figure out when he's coming. That, that's not what Jesus calls us to do. He doesn't say that's how you get ready. No, rather, rather what we're going to see is that readiness is a cultivation of holiness, faithfulness, and service to our Lord until he returns. That's how we are to be prepared. That's how we are to get ready. Cultivating, as Peter said, lives of holiness and godliness as we wait and hasten the day of the Lord. Now, in the previous parable where we were last Sunday, where the master has entrusted the servants with his estate and they are to, they are to feed uh, and, and prepare the meals, the wicked servant did not expect the Lord to return as soon as he did. That was the problem. You might remember, he says in verse 48, but that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. Well, it's been 2,000 years. It's probably not going to be today, so who cares? Let's just live it up. And there's an expectation that he's far off, and it leads to an immoral life. Well, here in our parable today, it's actually opposite miscalculation. It's the opposite the foolish virgins, as we are going to see, did not expect the bridegroom to be as late as he was. They weren't ready for the long haul. They're just wanting to follow Jesus for just a couple of days, just show up, and then he'd be back, and they find out he's delayed longer than they expected. 
I think we more probably identify with the first servant. We just expect him to be delayed. But this text talks about those who aren't ready and aren't prepared to run the race set before them. They don't expect him to be as late as he will be. And the point of this parable is the point that Jesus keeps making over and over again, which makes me think we probably need to listen to it. Look at the end of verse 13. Watch, therefore. Be ready, you could say. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For some, I'm going to come later than expected. But for others, I'm going to come sooner than expected. You're not going to be able to figure out, so be ready, my friends. And so for this reason, brothers and sisters, you and I must prepare to meet Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. And how do we do that? By fueling the light of our lives with the oil of an obedient heart. See, when Jesus returns, the hidden intentions of the heart, brothers and sisters, are going to be laid bare. Everything is going to be revealed, and there is not going to be any time to go back and change what has been done. And therefore, first of all, we must prepare our hearts to be exposed. Prepare your heart to be exposed. How do you get ready for the Lord's return? Well, first of all, prepare your heart to be exposed. Let's, let's look in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. We've seen Jesus introduce parables like this before, haven't we? The kingdom of heaven is like, right? We, we've seen him do that. We, we may think specifically of the parables of the kingdom found in Matthew chapter 13. However, there's a subtle difference that I want to draw your attention to. In those parables of the kingdom found in Matthew 13, he says the kingdom of heaven is like. But here he says, future tense, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Now, I know that's a minor difference, but it's a significant one that I want to draw your attention to. In the previous parables of the kingdom, where the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus emphasizes the hidden nature of the kingdom now in the present age as we experience it. There's a hiddenness to it. And so you, you might recall those parables. What, the, the parable of the soils. Where, where do you plant seed? Underneath the ground. And there's four different types of soil. It's the same seed, but different types of soil. But you don't see the soil because it's underground. Or you might liken the kingdom to leaven hidden within a lump of dough that is expanding, but you can't see it, can you? Or it's treasure hidden in the ground. Or it's like a pearl that you might find in the depths of the sea. He likens it to fishermen spreading a net and dropping it into the water and gathering all sorts of different types of fish, but you don't see what you got until the net's drawn out. Everything is beneath the surface, if you will, in this present age. Everything has a hidden component to it. And what we find is that not every seed sown onto every heart takes root. In fact, he even likens the, the parable uh, of the servants who go out and sow seed, and then the, the wicked one comes in and overnight sows in weeds among the good seed. And we learn that in this age, the kingdom it's going to grow up amongst true 
and false converts. That's the reality. In some sense, the church right now is a mixed community. We don't try to make it that way, but it is because we cannot see the heart. We can only see what your lips say, but Jesus has already said there's people who honor him with his lips, but their hearts are far from them. And so we can't make the full, um, I guess, determination of who's in and who's out. We, we just, do you profess Jesus? Yes, come follow him. But the reality is it's a mixed community. Some of you here are not truly believers. And that's what he's trying to teach us in those earlier parables. But here in Matthew 25, Jesus says what is hidden will now be revealed. And here we have ten virgins. What an interesting, <laughs> interesting uh, character, if you will. It's better to probably think of these as bridesmaids in a wedding. That's what's going on here. That's a little bit closer to what we would maybe identify with. They're young girls in the wedding. That's what you should be thinking. And on the outside, just like in the weddings that we have, what, when they come up, they all line up, and they're all dressed the same, right? You, you, and there's a sense in which they all look the same. Well, in this case, they all look the same. They're, they're all virgins. And they all are carrying lamps. And they're all claiming to be part of the wedding party. On the outside, everything looks the same. There's ten of them, and you can't discern the difference. But it won't be until the bridegroom comes that you'll find out that five of them are foolish. Five of them are foolish. What makes them foolish? What makes the foolish virgins foolish and the wise wise? We'll, we'll look in verse 3. For when the foolish took their lamps, what did they do? They took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now, where do you put flasks of oil? Now, imagine bridesmaids with lamps. That might, might be a new trend that you want to do. Um, you know, at your wedding, you got lamps, and they're instead of flowers, they're holding lamps up here. And you better make sure you, your lamp's going to continue to burn throughout the wedding, right? Well, if you need to keep some oil on you, you're going to probably stash it underneath your garment, right? It's hidden. That's the point. They have flasks. The wise one has flasks of oil. They, they put it under their garment. It's something hidden. Well, when Jesus returns, what is on the inside is going to be revealed. That's what we're seeing here. And what is it that is going to be revealed? What the scriptures tell us that the thoughts and the intentions of the hearts are going to be revealed. That is what Jesus has been preaching throughout his ministry. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's even the one who lusts in his heart that's already committed adultery. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be. For out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. This people honors me with their lips, what you can see, but their hearts, what you can't see, are far from me. Jesus in Matthew 15 says it this way, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Brothers and sisters, do you realize the return of Christ is going to be a great revelation of the hearts of men and women? Hearts are going to be exposed. 
going to find out where our real treasure lies. Did they truly love God and neighbor? Or were their hearts far from Him? Brothers and sisters, now's the favorable time. Now's the favorable time to have your hearts reconciled to God. You may fool others in this room. In fact, even preachers can fool their congregations. And believe and, and show everyone what they are doing on the outside. But brothers and sisters, there's coming a day where what you do on the outside won't matter if the inside doesn't match. On that day, every heart is going to be laid bare before the penetrating, fiery eyes of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Every heart will be laid bare. And so set your treasure, your heart, on Christ so that the lamp of your life will shine when He comes because on that day, not only will your heart be exposed, but in turn your works will be evaluated. Prepare your works to be evaluated. Without the oil of a heart for Christ, the lamp of your life will not shine. And here we see in verse 5 that the bridegroom, what, is delayed. See it? Bridegroom is delayed. Now this is actually the second of three times that Jesus will tip us off that his coming will be delayed from our perspective. The first was in the parable of the wicked servant. Now here's the second. And then the other one is with the parable of the talents, their master went on a far, long journey. And here in this story, it's so late that the virgins fall asleep. They fall asleep. Now, we're not told how long they were asleep, do we? We don't know when it was that they fell asleep, but it, but it was late when they fell asleep. But in this case, whatever preparations had been made on their part are now fixed, aren't they? Once they fall asleep... They don't wake up till it's too late, right? So whatever preparations they had made before then, that's what it is. And, and so what should we be thinking here? I think, think what Jesus has an idea here is, is that this is one's life. And you will fall asleep in the grave. And where, uh, whatever preparations you have made before that day, that is what is going to be. They're fixed. And most of us, brothers and sisters... Yes, we are to live as if Jesus will come again, but the, so far the percentages are that you'll die before he comes back. <laughs> okay? You'll die before he comes back. And whatever preparations you've made will be fixed when he returns. Notice it's at midnight we see. Verse 6. At midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. What is that? That's the return of the Lord. How do we know that? Well, this parallels what Jesus has said in chapter 24, verse 31. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, doo -doo -doo -doo. behold, the bridegroom is here. That's what that is. And they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. At the return of the bridegroom, guess what? There's going to be a separation. Only the elect are gathered. Only the elect. Only those that are truly his people will be gathered up. And in this parable, it's just drawing it out to show the separation. Who's wise? Those are the elect, the foolish or the non-elect. Those who do not believe, those who aren't his people, those who do not have hearts, who haven't set their treasure on Christ. 
Here it's only the wise virgins who when they are awake are actually able to light their lamps. Do you see it? Then all the virgins rose, verse 7, and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, oh, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. What do we see here? The return of the Lord, everyone's raised. All wake when he comes. That trumpet call, the dead in and out of Christ will rise. As Daniel tells us, some are raised to eternal life and others to eternal destruction. Do you see what's happening? There's a great revelation, a great sifting. What was now hidden is now being revealed. Who are truly his people and who are not. And what is marked out and what becomes evident at the return of Christ is that the foolish virgins, their hearts did not fuel the light of their lives. They wake up, the resurrection, and they're empty-handed. Now you might be saying, all right, Chase, where, where are you seeing these good works? Well, in each of these parables, works are being evaluated. Each of them. And this is how you understand parables. In fact, in Matthew, parables comes in threes. They come in threes. And you'll find that actually they're all having the same point. Be ready, be ready, be ready. They're the same idea, but they're now focusing on another component of it. Well, this helps us because it helps us understand well, what is the oil, what's the lamp, what's going on here. Well, if we step back and we see what's happening in the other judgment scenes, when the masters return, oh, now we can kind of get a glimpse of what is lacking here. And in each of these three parables, it's their works that are evaluated. Well, just think about the, the previous parable we saw last Sunday. The servants are entrusted with the master's estate to present the food at the proper time, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Have it prepared and have it ready. Next week, what are we going to see? We're the parable of the talents. And there, the master's servants are there to be faithful with the investment the, the master gave them. And they are to multiply their investment. And they are to use it. And the one who doesn't do what the master entrusted to him is cast out, right? He doesn't do. Or as Jesus says, blessed is the man or the master or the servant whom his master will find doing when he comes. These virgins can't do anything because they weren't prepared. They have nothing. When Jesus gets to the judgment and and. 31 through the end of the chapter what is it that that distinguished the sheep from the goats those who fed me when i was hungry those who gave me water when i was thirsty those who clothed me when i was naked those who visited me in the in jail well we don't remember seeing you what you did to the least of these you did to me and the goats you didn't do any you didn't do Our lives are going to be evaluated on the last day, brothers and sisters. Our lives are going to be evaluated on the last day, and if works were not fueled by a heart for God and neighbor, you'll have nothing to show for on that day. You'll be like these virgins who, who didn't bring the oil to light their lamp for the wedding. You didn't come prepared. 
Now you might be saying, how does this fit with, I thought the Bible says it's by faith alone that we're saved. Where's all this works uh, business coming in? Well, I want you to know that Paul, who's, who, who emphasizes justification by faith alone the most, says the exact same thing. Romans chapter 2, I think we have it on the screen. Paul reminds us that he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Paul says that, and then just a few paragraphs later, he says in Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Is Paul just crazy and doesn't know what he's talking about? What's he doing? He's doing the same thing that James is saying. Faith without works is dead. Oh, you claim to have faith? Show me your works. Oh, I believe in Jesus, but I don't follow him. Well, then you don't have faith. I love the church, but I'm never here. I believe Jesus is the only way, but I'm not going to tell anybody. He was ashamed of me and my gospel. I'll be ashamed of him for my heavenly father and the angels. This is the message of the New Testament. And this text really goes after an easy believism. That's what the foolish virgins were. Yeah, I'll show up to the wedding. Sure. No preparation. No cost. Didn't count the cost. They didn't come with a broken and contrite heart. They had no oil to fuel their lives. And Paul, James, and Jesus are having the same message. Faith without works is dead. And you might be able to fool everybody here, but on that day, your works will be evaluated. Your works will be evaluated. And so you need to prepare your faith to be examined, thirdly. Your faith to be examined. Come back to the parable. Let's start back again in verse 8. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy yourselves. Buy for yourselves. What's going on here? On that day, you're not going to be able to rest in the faith of another. You're going to have to stand on your own. You're not going to be able to look to your parents and say, Mom and Dad, I'm with you, right? Or look to your spouse, I'm with you. Or even look to your friends here in the room. No. No one will be able to give you oil of their heart on that day. No one can share their faith with you on that day. Everyone is going to stand on their own that day. I like what one commentator said. He says, on that day, there can be no calling on saints, heavenly or earthly. On that day, there can be no more looking even to the sustaining fellowship of the church. Now, suddenly, everything is terrifyingly individual. Right now, some of you do not believe. 
Some of you do not truly believe your heart is set elsewhere. And like Judas, you're, you're sharing in some sense of the benefits of the kingdom now, but you're not actually an heir of the kingdom to come. You think it's safe to maintain anonymity here in the crowd. And perhaps somehow you'll slip through unnoticed, but Jesus tells us, brothers and sisters, the gate is narrow and it only lets one person in at a time. One at a time. And all those who are not found wearing the proper wedding attire, the righteousness of Christ, they'll be cast out. How do you get that? By faith. Trusting, believing. Brothers and sisters, here's the good news, okay? You can still believe today. You can still believe. You haven't fallen asleep yet. At least most of you haven't, okay? You haven't fallen asleep yet. You can trust Christ now by forsaking your sins and trusting him and confessing him as your Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and he's now your master and your savior and you're going to walk after him. You're going to follow him. You're going to deny yourself, take up your cross, and you're going to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. You can make that decision right now. Right now. Believe this good news, brothers and sisters. Be renewed in your heart this morning if you do believe. Believe he has come. Believe he has died for your sins. Believe he has been raised for your justification and believe he will return again to receive you in glory. Believe. Renew your faith. That's what we do every Sunday. That's why we come here. None of us would go a meal purposefully or a day without a meal purposely, but yet we think we can go without being reminded of the spiritual bread and nourishment that will sustain our souls until he comes. We have to come day in and day out to have our hearts renewed and fill up the flasks of that oil or your light will go out. Many of us are living as if he's not going to come and I'll just get my oil the next day or I'll just make things right on that day. Brothers and sisters, we must trust this gospel and follow Jesus. Give him your life and hold nothing back. Because after you fall asleep, when you awake again, it's too late. Once you fall asleep, it will be too late, and you'll have to stand on your own on that day. So finally, we must prepare our relationship with Christ to be revealed. If you don't have a relationship with Christ now, you will not have one with him then. In the story, the, the foolish virgins seek to remedy their solution, don't they? Actually, the wise ones are just like, I don't know, go to the store and buy some oil. Well, good luck trying to find anybody selling anything at midnight. It's interesting. The text never says that they found oil. And we know you, you can't just go buy faith. You can't go buy a new heart. Probably details here we don't need to press to hard but it never says they found oil and and i don't know maybe maybe they just come back and they they, they hope despite not having a renewed heart despite not having works to offer despite not having faith that, that somehow the, the master will let them in while they were gone the text tells us the bridegroom arrives 
And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. There's much glory there. I encourage you to go to Revelation 18, 19. Marriage supper of the Lamb. It'll be glorious. I mean, just thinking about the glories of a wedding. Weddings are, are typically times of great celebration and excitement and, 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 and joy. That's what we're supposed to connect with this glorious meeting of our Savior. But there is a great sober reality on the other side of this text. While the wise ones went in with him, they go in with Jesus. He comes, the bridegroom comes to meet you, and he brings you in. You come in with his party. And you go into the marriage. But as the righteous, the wise, the elect, they go in, the door is shut behind them. The door is shut. Right now, brothers and sisters, the door to the kingdom is open. In fact, it's wide open. Our Lord is a mighty fortress. The gates of the Lord are open and the righteous run through it. They run. Right now, the door is open. Come to Jesus while you can. Otherwise, it will be for you as it was for these foolish virgins. Verse 11, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. I don't know you. We've seen these horrifying words spoken by Jesus before in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, I think is one of the most terrifying texts in all the Bible. It's reiterated here in parable form. Many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord. They say, I never knew you. Notice, I never knew you compliments here. I, I don't know who you are. You, you claim to be part of this wedding party. I have no idea. All the people who received the invite knew to bring oil. You must not have. You, you didn't come. You didn't RSVP. I, I, I don't know. The, the <laughs> illustration breaks down. You don't have hearts. Here's the point. You never had a relationship with me. Only people who come to the wedding are those who have a relationship. Otherwise, you're just wedding crashers, right? That's not going to be allowed here. I never knew you. And so Jesus makes explicit in Matthew 7 what's implicit here in this parable. If our works do not flow out of a living, breathing relationship with him, they'll be of no value to us on the judgment. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did not we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not? Did we not? Did we not? So I didn't know you. You didn't have a relationship with me. What, what a deception that we could fall into to believe that we're doing the works of the kingdom without a relationship with Jesus. And so this is the point. Jesus is coming back. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Does, more importantly, does he know you? Does he know you? 
telling a story about meeting a, a pretty well-known preacher when I was coming out of college. Met, and we had like a 10-minute conversation at a bookstore. And I really thought we connected. <laughs> he talked to me for 10 minutes. Said, and then we found out that wherever I was going, I was going out to uh, California and church I was going to be at. He said, actually, I'm going to be preaching there in August. Come say hi to me. I said, all right, I'll do it. Well, a few months go by. August comes. He's preaching that Sunday after the service. I come and I say, hey, you remember me at the, at the bookstore? No, I don't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I knew him, but he didn't know me. It was quite embarrassing. I said, well, good seeing you, man. And I walked away. <laughs> oh, how far greater embarrassment and shame and disappointment it will be. Lord, Lord, I don't know you. But, but, your heart was far from me. But, 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 you got your works. Where are they? Where did you serve my people? But my faith, yeah, yeah. It was dead. But we, didn't we meet that one time? Yeah, I don't remember. This parable's sobering, isn't it? Someone said, hey, you're dressed up. Must be a serious message. I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> I love what Thomas Aquinas, you might not know that name. Thomas Aquinas was a great theologian of the medieval period, but commenting on this text, he says about the door being shut and the severity here. He says, the Lord's severity after judgment is as great as his mercy was unspeakable before Here's the point. You can come now. You can come now. But after you walk out these doors, you might fall asleep. And wherever you are now is what you will be on that day. So how do you prepare to meet Christ when he's come? Will you prepare your heart so that your works will be done for him? And you're and you prepare by placing your faith in him so that you'll have a relationship with him. And in this way, you can be ready, though you do not know the day or the hour. Let's pray. Father, may none of us be deceived, including myself. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul who said he beat his body make it his slave lest after preaching to others he himself might be disqualified from the prize that he offers and so Lord I as the preacher today or this is a word for me as much as for them and so since these things are so I'm reminded of Peter's exhortation what sort of people ought we to be or to live lives of holiness and godliness as we await and hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. For we know on that day, whether we are awake or we are asleep, it will come like a thief in the night. 